Now today as we continue, and we're going to look at from Mark chapter 10 and from verse 13 onwards, uh, we're going to look at children now, which brings me to the purpose for marriage. You see, God didn't just make anything on the earth just for the fact and for the sake of it. Every single thing has got a purpose. God just didn't think everything out as an afterthought. Everything has been purposed. And likewise, your life, likewise, everything that happens in your life has got a purpose. Uh, God created Adam and Eve. And then we are procreated by our parents and we are created on this world for a purpose. You just didn't happen. You just didn't breathe one day. So when God instituted marriage, there was a purpose for it. Now, first of all, the purpose for marriage is to mirror God's image. So it says there in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 that He made us according to His likeness. And, and this is how God made us, according to His image. So the first purpose of us as individuals is to mirror God's image. But then we come together as husband and wife in a marriage situation, and we are now mirroring God's image in our marriage. The secondly, it is to mutually complete one another. That means that uh, all of your gaps and all of your weaknesses is completed by your spouse. Uh, and often you can say that, look, I'm very slow paced, but she is very fast paced. This is one of the purposes for God. And we also find this in the book of Genesis when God looked at Adam and the word says that it's not good for Adam to be alone. And God made him a suitable helper. Then the third purpose for marriage is to procreate, is to have children. And this is what God gave Adam and Eve in the beginning. This all fits within the confinement of marriage. This is so important. So why did I start this way? Because last week we saw that they asked Jesus the tricky question about marriage. And now you're going to see in our narrative that he, they're going to bring children to him which is for me so, so telling of how Jesus uses every situation, as you're going to see, to teach the gospel. Now, today's theme or the topic for today is the kingdom of God. I want to talk a little bit about the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? And we're going to see a lot of scripture verses about it. And as you know me by now, I am going to give you an overload of scripture verses. So let's read further in our narrative as we follow Jesus. It says in Mark chapter 10 verse 13, Then they brought little children to him, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. For such is the kingdom of God. There's our topic. For such is the kingdom of God. In verse 15, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God. There's our topic again. The kingdom of God. Who do not receive the kingdom of God as little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them and blessed them. And the Lord blessed the public reading of his word. How wonderful the word of God. Let me pray and then we will unpack this passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we have your word. Thank you that we have the mind of God with us. Now, Lord, I pray that you open up your hearts and your minds to receive your word and to receive your message to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's look at this. I absolutely love the fact that Jesus never lets an opportunity go by not to teach. And we see that Jesus uses everyday situations to his advantage to take the next step, the precept, the next line, and he teaches about it. People are bringing little children to him. 
you need to ask yourself the question, what is the main idea of what I just read to you? What is the main idea? What is this whole passage going on about? Now, I've given you a hint because I'm going to talk about the kingdom of God. And we know that Jesus uses this situation for a teaching opportunity. Let's look at verse 13 then as we unpack it and get to the the main idea of this passage and learn from this. In verse 13, he says, Then they brought little children to him that he might touch them. Now, this was a Jewish tradition. It is something they often did in their day. They would take their little children even to the synagogue, even to the temple, and the elders would take the children and they will pray for the children. They will bless them and they will pray for the parents and they will bless the parents. Um, Now, if we look at the word here, they brought little children. This word brought there comes from the Greek word prospero. Now, prospero means and the idea for prospero is to offer something. Or it is generally used in sacrificial offerings. That's where this word is used most. When they brought their little children to Jesus or when they took them to the rabbi to bless, the word there is they offer the child up to the blessing. And this is what we get the same today. Now, we as a church don't baby baptize. We don't, I don't believe the whole Bible talks about baby baptism, but it talks about this. It talks about a dedication of a child, and that's where we find our dedication from. And all these people did when they saw Jesus, they brought these little children for Jesus to lay his hands on them and to bless them. This is what we need to do as parents. This is the biggest task that you will ever have in your life is to do what these parents have done. And I want to read to you a long passage out of Deuteronomy because this is going to speak exactly to this tradition which they did in Jesus' day. And we find this in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and from verse 1. Now I'm just going to read through this because we've got a lot of scripture verses. He says there in verse 1, Now this is the commandment and these are the statutes, judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you. So there's a teaching happened and God gave a command and statutes, which is laws and so on, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all the statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Now, it is really interesting to me, even in the biblical times, that he talks about three generations here. He says, you and your son and your grandson. So this talks about generational pass on of the knowledge of God, which is critically important. Generational pass on of the knowledge of God. In their day, they would tell these children about God, about the statutes of God. Their children will tell their children and the grandparents will tell the grandchildren. It's a three-pronged approach on it. Then we read in verse 3, Deuteronomy 6 verse 3, Therefore, hear, O Israel, therefore it's an application word. He says, and be careful to observe it that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. O year, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all of your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Now, he says it will be in your heart. So it's not head knowledge, it's heart knowledge. And if you've heard me preach before, there is a difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. Now, what will be in your heart? He says it so clearly. 
that you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and with all of your strength. But here comes the critical part in that passage, which I believe these people in the Jewish day of Jesus, the custom was, the tradition was what they kept on doing. This is the critical part. Verse 7, Deuteronomy 6, 7. And if you're a parent, and if you're a grandparent in your Bible, underline these verses, make it your motto, make it your vision in life, your mission to apply what I'm going to read to you now. Most probably for parents, this is the most script, uh, important scripture verses that you need to hear today. In verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. What? What shall you teach diligently to your children? The statutes of the Lord, the judgments of the Lord. And what else? That you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. What will you do with it? You will teach it diligently to your children. I'm afraid to say this. If I look around in the world today, even in Christian homes, that I'm afraid to see generations that's going to be lost. Young children, I don't know if I look at the world, if I look at the watering down of the message of God, if I look at the the evil powers, the worldly powers that's coming together behind the scenes to take away privileges and rights and everything. I'm afraid that this scripture verse is so critically important in our day and it lays more of an onus upon parents and grandparents to teach children. But it's not there. I see young generations not following the Lord. And then we want to blame them. But the blame is upon their parents and the blame is upon their parents. The Jews knew how to do this. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. Are you talking about the Lord when you sit in your house? About his statues, about his judgments. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, that encompasses your whole life. Is your life built around the Lord? In verse 8, you shall bind him as a sign on your hand and it shall be on the front lids of your eyes. It needs to become a lifestyle. It needs to become everything you are so that your children can see that and their children can see that. He says in the front of between your eyes, you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. What does it mean? It means that people need to know that your house is a house for God. When people come and visit you, they need to know that your house is a house of God. You're not perfect. The scripture nowhere there says anything about being perfect, but it says that you shall write it on the doorpost. Where is the doorpost? It's where people come into your house and your gates. So I want, just want to say when I read this and I, and I look back at the passage of today that these people came, these parents came and they brought their children to Jesus. That really stood out for me. For me, it stands out and I want to say to these parents, well done on you. Because it says they brought their children to Jesus. We need to offer our children to Jesus. We need to bring them to Jesus. This is the most noble thing, task, whatever you want to call it in your life, is to bring your children to Jesus. But I want to look you in the eye, parent. I want to look you into the eye, grandparent. Whoever hears this and see this, the task is for you to bring them to Jesus. Look, we're living in a world where it's not just going to happen by chance. The noise in the world, the attention seekers in the world, it drowns out the message of the gospel. 
It is your task. Nobody else is going to do it. Sunday school's not going to do it anymore. The schools aren't doing it anymore. I don't know if you've noticed, there's no more prayer in school. There's no more Bible reading in school. The school system is not a Christian system anymore. You've got to do it. I've got to do it. We've got to keep on doing it. This is what the scripture verse is so strong about. And they brought these little children to Jesus here in Mark chapter 10, verse 13. Now we find the word but there again. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. They rebuked those. And, you know, you would look at this and you would say, but that's rude. How could they rebuke children who want to come to Jesus? Well, we see the same thing. As we are as parents trying to bring our children to Jesus, there's always these factions against us trying to keep us away from Jesus. But here we see it's his own disciples and they... They took them away. Now, you've got to understand, and I've touched on this a few weeks ago. You needed to understand the social standing of children in Jesus' day. They grew up under a Hellenic society. And in that society, the social standing for children was non-existent. Children could do nothing to elevate you in a social sense. Now, I don't believe this is what the disciples had in mind when they rebuked the children. I believe they looked at Jesus and he's always busy and there's people around them. And then when his parents came with their little children, they said, no, no, he's too busy. But if it was a famous person, maybe, if it was an important person, would have done the same thing? I don't know. Speculation. But they brought their children and these men said, no, and again, I bring you back to what's happened there. But let's see what Jesus did in verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased. And he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. You see, children is very special for us and they should be special for us. We see then that Jesus uses this little children as an example to teach now a very important thing about the kingdom of God. Let's follow what it says. He says, he says, do not hinder them, but bring them. And then Jesus says the following words, for of such is the kingdom of God. There's our theme. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, by no means enter it. Now, my dear friends, brother and sister, I've heard so many times people uh, uh, um, preach about the scripture verse errorously. I've had a man once told me this, and I think I've alluded to him a few times before in messages, that he came to me and he used this passage here and said that we need to get children to come and preach the sermons for us in church because Jesus said they inherit the kingdom of God. That's not what he said. Let me explain it to you. And I believe this is the important part of the passage today. You see, he says in this passage here about children, when he's got the children with him, or for such is the kingdom of God. And then he says, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. So the question there needs to be, what is the kingdom of God? If somebody asks you that question, what would your answer be? I've certainly asked that question to a few people and you get different answers. The kingdom of God is often referred to in scriptures. So this is then important to know what it is. Let's follow it quickly. And again, I'm not going to apologize, but here comes a lot of scripture verses. In Mark chapter 1 verse 14, the word says, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. What is the gospel? The good news of the kingdom of God. And saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is so clear. This is Jesus' message. He preaches the kingdom of God. Now I know... <clears throat> Um, if we look at the word here, 
and you know me, and I, I love words here. If we look at the word here for kingdom, when he says the kingdom of God, it comes from the Greek word basileia. Now, basileia mean kingship or a royal rule. And this is what he's talking about. The kingship or a royal rule. Now, this refers to God, Elohim, who is the sovereign authority and the activity ruling his whole creation. This is the meaning of that word, the kingdom of God. It's that sovereign rule. And in the particular passage, the kingdom of God means that he is that sovereign ruler over the whole universe. Mark chapter 10 verse 15. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as little children will by no means enter it. Mark chapter 15 verse 43. Joseph of Arimathea, this is now after Jesus died, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God coming and taking courage, went to Pilate and asked for the body of Christ. Here is a man, he's a very prominent man, waiting for the kingdom of God. You see, hence me asking the question, what is the kingdom of God? Luke chapter 17 verse 20. Now when he was asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come. You see, the kingdom of God even fascinated the Pharisees. They asked the question. They say, when will the kingdom of God come? He answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. It's clear that you need to listen what he says here, because we get teaching about the kingdom of God. It's not coming with observation. What does it mean? It's not going to be a king who comes in with an army and everybody sees this king coming in with an army and he's going to, you know, rule above the Romans. Eventually in Revelation chapter 19, he will come, but from a different way. He will come from heaven. He says, not by observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed, what Jesus the kingdom of God is within you. Now, just hold your horses there for a minute. What does this mean? Now, again, and I thank the Lord I get the opportunity to correct some errorous teaching around Scripture verses taken outside of context. This is one of those verses. You see, I meet with people from time to time, and especially people from the kingdom now theology. Especially people who wants the kingdom to come now. Well, the kingdom has come. We'll address that in a minute. But especially these people who want to see the kingdom taking over the governments, the seven pillars of society, the seven mountains of society. They will use, and they do use the scriptures and says, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, parts of it is good, because we'll see that through the Holy Spirit. But what does the scripture mean right here when he says, See here, see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. The phrase here, within you, is better understood as to say, in your midst. That's the better understanding of that scripture. And I'm not changing the scripture verses. But if you go back there, Jesus was telling these people that the kingdom of God is standing in your midst. He is setting up the kingdom of God. Because point, at that particular moment, the Holy Spirit wasn't poured out upon the earth and the Holy Spirit didn't live in us and with us. And it's not saying that you are the temple of the Holy, of, 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 of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say that yet when these men ask him. But he was saying to them that within your midst here is the kingdom of God. Who was that? Jesus was with them, the supreme ruler of the kingdom. So it's just important to understand this was not a mystical revelation that Jesus was talking about. Acts chapter 28 verse 30. And then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him. What a privilege. He's sitting in jail in a rented house and received all who came to him. And what did he do? 
He didn't complain about the government preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, which with all confidence, no one forbidding him. So Paul was preaching about the kingdom of God. Do you know what the kingdom of God is? Rome, uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 16, the same Paul. See what he writes to the church in Rome. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating, it's not drinking, but what is it then otherwise? We're learning stuff about the kingdom of God. Remember when Jesus said it's not going to come in an appearance to the Pharisees. Here Paul picks up on that point. He says the kingdom of God is not what you eat or what you drink. And and again, you know, there's so many different teachings about what you may eat, what you may not eat. Paul says that's not what the kingdom of God is about. But what is it then, Paul? He continues in verse 17. But it is righteousness and peace and joy out of itself. No, no, the qualification here is in the Holy Spirit. So what happens when the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us? That's what Jesus promised. He said, I'll pray the Father and he sent you another comforter who will be with you and in you forever. Holy Spirit, come and make a dwelling place in us. What comes? He teaches about righteousness. And what else? About <clears throat> peace and about joy. The kingdom of God. Verse 18, for he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. I hope you're holding on with these scripture verses, but the word of God is powerful. And the more I use the word, the better. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Now this I say, and it's again Paul writing here. This I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So, so much to say then for the people, the kingdom now theology people who say that, you know, we need to get the world correctly and right so that the kingdom of God, we can't do that. Only Christ can set up his kingdom. But here he says that now, he says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Now does corruption inherit the kingdom of God. So a lot of scripture verses here talks about the kingdom of God. And if I come back to our scripture verse today where Jesus said, and he uses these children, assuredly I say to you that whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child by no means will enter it. This is so practical and applicable to us. So what is the kingdom of God? And again, I can, you know, spend more time on this and preach more sermons on this. But for today and then the teaching that Jesus used, I would want to understand that the disciples already knew this. They knew what Jesus meant when he spoke about the kingdom of God. But the message here is important for us. So the kingdom of God is the rule of an eternal, eternal, sovereign God over the whole universe. That's the first one. We need to understand and believe as children of God that God is still in control of the whole universe which includes the earth and which includes your universe. That's your life, to say the different word of it. He is the one, that's the first one, the kingdom of God, the supreme ruler of the universe is God. Is this the kingdom that Jesus was talking about? Let's see, let's read some scriptures, more scriptures. Psalm 103 verse 19. The Lord has established the throne in his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. This was the psalmist who wrote this and it's still, still so applicable to us today. He has set up his throne in heaven. Who? The Lord has. Capital letter L-O-R-D in my Bible. Deity. The God Almighty, Elohim, 
He established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. How does that apply to us? Let's read on. Daniel chapter 4 verse 2. Now we're listening to a king. It's so wonderful when the Bible was written. It was written by kings as well. This king's name is Nebuchadnezzar. And when he wrote this down, he by far had the biggest kingdom on the planet, on the face of the earth. He was the biggest king of the earth. This is what he says. King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel chapter 4 verse 2. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. This is a pagan God, a a, a pagan king, the biggest king of his day, saying these words. How wonderful and powerful is the word of God. Uh, We can't even compare it to today. There's too many big forces today. He's bigger than the president of the United States in his day, than China, than anything. This is the ruler, the Petrarch of his day. Nebuchadnezzar, and he says these words, he says, I, I thought, I thought it good to declare the signs and the wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are his signs. You know, there's another psalmist which says, the heavens declare the wonders of the Lord. Here he talks about signs and how mighty his wonders, his kingdom. Now listen, the biggest kingdom on the earth, The king of this kingdom says that God's kingdom, his kingdom, is an everlasting kingdom. And his dominion is from generation to generation. If ever you wanted who is in control of this world, it's God. Now I know, I know you're going to say, but why is the world out of control? It's because God gave it over to the stubborn arts. And between the heavens and the earth, he laid down the prince of the power of the air, who, by the way, is also operating on delegated authority. Let it just be known. He's not, he's powerful, but he's not all powerful like God. There's no even reference of him in the same breath than God. This is how mighty our God is. Romans 13 verse 1. Now, I've given you the Old Testament. The psalmist. I've read to you about a king in the Old Testament. One of the biggest king of his day. Now let's come to our day now. And see how it applied to our governments. Which I must say by far, I disagree totally with. Totally. With a lot of things that's going on. Well, if I know, I'm not talking government. I'm talking about our state. I totally disagree with our premier. I think it's an absolute power struggle that's going on. But here is the scripture verse which speaks to me. Romans 13 verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Now, if you want to get mad at me, please get mad at me. But this is what the word of the Lord says. Let every soul, that includes me, be subject to the governing authorities. For there is No authority, none, except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Who's going to win the next election in America? I know I want to win. He might not win. But I know what for. Whatever reason is going to be in that seat, God already knows about it. And he knows the plan for that. Now, it could be to punish the people. If we go back into the Old Testament, and I know today I'm talking all over, but I believe the Holy Spirit will just give you something today which stands out and teach you. But if you go back when 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 the people didn't want God as a a king, they wanted to have their own king, God gave them Saul. And man, did they suffer under Saul. The same thing happens with governments. If people turn their back on God, governments will come and rule over them and that will punish them until they turn back to God. I don't want to say this is where you first heard it because it's in the word of God. 
Romans 13.1 Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, now that you know this application, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinances of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. And we see this happen. If you go against the law, you'll get a fine. You resist the law, you will get a fine. Now, listen me clearly out now. Listen me clearly out. If the authority tells you to sin against God, that's the only reason that you have to and must reject it. We see a clear play out of that in the book of uh, Daniel. The three men, Sadrach, Mesek, and Abednego, when they said, when, when, when they said, when the music play, you need to bow the knee and worship uh, Nebuchadnezzar as your, as your Lord. They refused to do that. But what happened? God protected them. So they, I mean, that's a total different message. But here we see the point I want to make here is that the first, if we talk about the kingdom of God, is his rule as an external sovereign God over the universe. Now, is this what Jesus was talking about in our narrative today? I don't think so. Because that kingdom is already here. And he didn't say to us, for us to go into that kingdom, that physical kingdom, that we need to look at children. No, because we're already in that kingdom. So I don't believe this is the, the kingdom of God that Jesus was referring to. So let's look at the second uh, explanation about the kingdom of God. And this is a spiritual rule over the hearts and the lives of those who willingly submit to God's authority. This is a second kingdom. Now, if you apply now all these scripture verses that I've given you, and I know it's a little bit of an overload, but you've got the privilege to pause, go over them again. If you go over all of those scripture verses, that I've read through about the kingdom of God, you will see how this apply now. This kingdom of God. It, and I, let me repeat it to you again. It is a spiritual rule, a kingship over our hearts and over our lives of those who willingly submit to God's authority. So who rules it then? God's authority. But let me be clear. It's not looking in your heart and say, <clears throat> the throne in my heart, I'm not sitting on it anymore. Jesus is now coming, he sit on it. No, he's not a dictator like that. He gave us a will. He gave us still to make decisions and choices. And we do that every day, even as a child of God. Even as a born again child of God still. And I'm absolutely clear to you and transparent. You and I still make decisions every single day. It's not as if there's a foreign force that came in and took over this whole body and I'm just a zombie walking through life. No, no. We're still in this world, but not of this world. But I've submitted my heart and my life to him. He saved my soul. He did it, not me. He saved my soul. And now I'm willingly under his authority with love. John chapter 18 verse 36. Let me read the scriptures. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. So I've explained to you just the first explanation of the kingdom of God over the universe, over authorities, over, you know, kings, over gov governments. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Oh, and that threw them as it is throwing a lot of people today. The kingdom of God is not of this world. It's, <clears throat> it's not that physical world. One day it will become, but we'll get to that. And there's only one way now that you can come into this kingdom of God. You see, when I talk about the, the kingdom of God, the physical kingdom of God, you are born into it naturally. 
I've given you the scripture verses as a baby in your mother's womb, you are procreated. And when you are conceived, your name is already written up in a book. So you are part of the kingdom of God, the universal kingdom of God. But now Jesus said, there's another kingdom that I want to talk to you about, but it's not of this world. So if we came into the universal kingdom of God, it came via birth, being conceived, procreated. So how do we get into this kingdom of, of God, which Jesus was talking about, which is not of this world? The Bible gives us the way. John chapter 3 verse 5. Jesus answered, most assuredly, and he's speaking to Nicodemus, I say to you, unless one is born of water in spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What is he talking about? You see, Nicodemus didn't even understand this. Nicodemus thought about the first birth, the physical birth. And he turned to Jesus and he says, Jesus, it doesn't make sense to me. I cannot enter back into the womb of my mother. Look at me. I'm a grown man. That's, that's my emphasis. But Jesus says, no, no, let me explain it to you. If you're not born of the water and spirit, it's a spiritual birth. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, physical birth. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit, spiritual birth. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. So how do you get into this? It's a spiritual birth. Now, John chapter 1 verse 12. He says that he gave us the right to be called sons of God. That we were born not from here on the earth, but from above. That's where we were born. Not the season made by flesh, but not by blood, but from him. It's a spiritual birth. That's the only way that you can get into that kingdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You see, there's different criteria to be able to enter the kingdom of God. Not the same to the universal kingdom of God. Unrighteous will not. He gives an explanation of that. Do not be deceived. Nine the fornicators, idolatrous, adulteresses, homosexuals, sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Unrighteousness will not inherit it. So here we've got two explanations of the kingdom of God. A universal one. We see that. We were born physically into that. And then there is the spiritual one, which we must be born again and give Christ as the spiritual rule over your lives. And that kingdom has come. Again, now, when he was standing in the midst of them, he says, it will be in you. That kingdom is uh, it's in your midst. But today what happened? Jesus Christ went and he died on the cross for us. He took our sins so that we can enter into this kingdom. And what happened? He went and uh, 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 into heaven, sat on the right hand of the Father. But then he sent the Holy Spirit, which is also God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit came and what did He do? He ministered to us. He's with us and He's in us. And now with the help of that Holy Spirit, the Parakletos, the Helper, He's helping us now to live the spiritual life in the kingdom of God. This is the two kingdoms. But then there is also a reference in the Bible to a future kingdom, a literal rule of Jesus Christ that's coming for a thousand years to this earth. And that will come. And we will come as kings and priests with him. Now I know if it's the first time you listen to this video and you are not born again and it's the first time these words might sound crazy to you. But it's not. It's true. Daniel chapter 2 verse 44 And in the days of these kings of God of heaven, uh, in these days, these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. 
and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it will stand forever. Let it be known that Jesus Christ is coming back to rule from Jerusalem and all these kingdoms, doesn't matter how strong they are, they will all be broken in pieces and he shall reign forever. Now, I know I took a long route to come to this. Our theme is the kingdom of God. But remember in our narrative where we are. Jesus got the children to him. <clears throat> they wanted to keep them away. He said, let them come. And he said again, I repeat the words. And we draw into a finish with this. He says, don't hinder them. For such is the kingdom of God. What did he mean? What is he trying to teach them? And assuredly I say to you that whoever do not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. What is Jesus teaching here? And this is the message. Remember a few weeks ago, we looked at lessons from a child. It's on the website. It's on YouTube. I highly recommend if you haven't watched it, go back and watch it. Because there is an indication of what we learn now. The disciples was with him there. And he taught them there about service, what we can learn from a child from service. And I explained to you then their social standing in society. And it meant that these children means nothing to their parents in their day on a social level. Yet we learn from them, though there's no benefit, what happens? We still serve our children. We still look after them. They can give us nothing back as a benefit on a social level. Yes, we play with them and it's nice and it's good for us. But on a social level, they mean nothing. Still, we clean their diapers. We clean after them. We feed them. We serve them, expecting nothing back. Now, with that in the mind, the remember it's the same disciples, as I believe it's you and me as well, walking with him. He uses the same lessons right here to cement the message in them. So what did Jesus teach? He teaches that we must enter the kingdom of God with childlike faith. Now listen carefully. Not childish faith. I see a lot of that around in churches. Childish. Small things upset people. That's what it is. Childlike faith. Now what is childlike faith? It is trusting and depending upon. And it is humility because, you know, you can't see a baby having, being arrogant. And when they cry is normally when they're hungry or they want attention. It's no arrogance there. There's a sense of humility with babies. Why? Because they absolutely need you. They've got no thing to, to kick up their back and all of a sudden they're arrogant with you. I haven't seen a baby of one or two years old arrogant. It's humility. It's the first thing. That's the underlining one. So we enter the kingdom of God first with humility, but secondly, trusting. Now, I've had two sons and I've had a daughter and I've got grandchildren now. But I saw the other day when Richard played with uh, little Michael and I can see the trust in the boy and his dad. When his dad throws him into the air, there's a little bit of fear there, but he knows. He trusts his father's going to catch him. We, we do it often when we've got little children. We put them on, on, on a high, you know, on, on a high level and we hold out our hands to them and say, jump, jump, jump. Or we get in the pool. I've got a pool and we often do that. You go one meter back and you want them to jump into the water and you go jump, jump. And what happens? They need to have trust in you to jump, to take that leap of faith. This is what Jesus means when we come into the kingdom of God. We need to have that trusting faith to jump, to leap upon Jesus. Now, it's not blind faith. We're not going into that. It is trusting faith. It is knowing that my Lord is there. It is knowing my dad is going to catch me. It's knowing my dad has got the best interest for me. Though he said to me, no in prayer, it is for the best interest and I trust that. That is the message here. You come into the kingdom of God with trusting. Remember, this is this giving over to the Lord, the spiritual side of you, uh, you know, for him to, to rule over you, this spiritual rule over your heart. 
sometimes it's going to be decisions that you want to make and you go, Lord, I need to go out here in, in trusting you. And you need to go there, but you need to understand that it's his authority and he's got you in his hand and you need to keep on trusting like that. And then secondly, it's to being dependent on him. You can't do this thing on your own. You need God. Just like little children. <clears throat> you know what? They, they can't work for themselves to get what they need. They depended upon you as a parent. Um, they can't work and feel anything for getting everything you've given to your little children is for free. It's not as if you, you know, I, I look at Gavin and, and, um, Alex the other day with little Isla. It's not as if, you know, they do something for little Isla and then they go, yeah, now you owe me $5 for that. I've changed your nappy $10. No, no. It is all depend upon, depending upon the parents. That's the message. That's this passage here. I know it's a short message. And look, I didn't want to go further on because next week we're going to talk about the, the, the rich young ruler. That's a big message in itself. But I felt it necessary to lay the foundation about the kingdom of God. And then to understand what Jesus was teaching these disciples. How to enter into this kingdom. So we must receive the kingdom of God as a little child. Humble. Trusting and dependable. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will by no means enter it. And then he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and he blessed them. May the Lord bless you today. And I pray that the Lord has taught you something out of these messages and encourage you. The reason why I keep on preaching to you, brother and sister, is to encourage you with the word of God. I can't encourage you with anything else in this world. Honestly, there's nothing. Money can't encourage anymore. Freedom encourages, and now we see how quickly you can lose things. But the word of God will never fail you. It will always be true. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, which is powerful, Lord. It is uh, alive. And Father, it's a discerner of the heart. I thank you, Lord. This world will, word will not go out and return back void. It will accomplish everything it's purpose for. Even if I had to talk about governments, I, Father, I just thank you for your Holy Spirit.